0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. Your program says 1 through 21, but we will stop at verse 20. And then we will spend some time meditating on this text together. Here then... The Word of God from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This is a look at the first Christmas 2019 years later. This is probably around 5 BC when um, Jesus was born. We don't know what month, but 5 BC he was born. So this is 2019 years later, just about. Okay. Hear the Word of God from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant while they were there verse 6 the time came for her to give birth then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in snugly wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the lodging place at the lodging place verse 8 in the same region shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior who is Christ, or Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly army, heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem. And see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed, and at the shepherd and, and at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Father, we pray that you would take this word and drive it deep into our hearts, that we would meditate on and treasure up these things in our heart. We pray for those who are not Christian, that they would be given a spirit of exploration and curiosity and a hunger and desire to know who Jesus is and what Christmas means. We pray that we would leave here glorifying and praising you, standing in utter amazement of your greatness, and that we would proclaim far and wide the message of the King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Christmas is a wonderful time of year for many people in our country today. It's good for business and economy with lots of gift giving and gift buying. Um, you know, it's good for a lot of businesses that make up lack from sales throughout the year. It's a time filled with wonder for children. It was certainly my favorite time of the year growing up in a sheltered home. There are traditional songs, stories and symbols. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Silent Night, Away in a Manger, Joy to the World, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, O Holy Night is my favorite. Oh, Holy Night, with oh Come, O Come, Emmanuel quickly rising up the list. I think that might be, maybe this year, my favorite Christmas carol. If not, it's second place right now. Um, then we have Christmas stories. You know, there's Scrooge, the movie with Bill Murray. I'm not sure if that's still a good movie to recommend today, but I remember that as a child. It was a play off of Charles Dickens' Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, with Scrooge. I, I introduced that story to my children last night. The story of Scrooge. and um, So there's that story. There's Santa Claus and the North Pole and the elves. Then there are family stories. What happened last year and what happened ten years ago. And you sit around the table and tell old Christmas stories of, of your own family experiences together. Then there are Christmas symbols. We have a Christmas tree. There's a story behind that. I don't have time to tell here. I'm happy to answer that at the door if you want to know why we have a Christmas tree. But there's the Christmas tree. There's Christmas lights mistletoe, stockings, more symbols. And then there are three conversations that, three themes in conversation that happen regularly around Christmas. And that's what's going to structure our next 15 minutes. The theme of, what are your Christmas plans? We ask that of each other, right? What are you doing this year for Christmas? Where are you going? Christmas plans. That's a common conversation. Second conversation is, what is the meaning of Christmas? Or what does Christmas mean To you. And then a third common conversation around this time of year is... Well, it's not framed like this. How can I have the Christmas spirit? What is the Christmas spirit, and how can I have it? And so we want to think about those three things, but we want to look at it from the Bible. Dr. Luke, who wrote this passage, knew Mary, most likely. Interviewed early Christians, and talked to Mary, most likely, about what happened on that very first Christmas. And here, he shares with us his research, talking to eyewitnesses who knew Jesus personally. So Luke tells us the story here of the emperor who made a decree that everyone in the whole Roman Empire should go to their hometown and be registered. So Mary and Joseph have to leave Nazareth in the north, go south to Bethlehem, the city of David, to be registered because Joseph and Mary are from that family line of of David. So they're registered there. Mary is pregnant and she gives birth there in Bethlehem. Angels come to a field where shepherds are. An angel comes to the field where shepherds are. Scares, scares the, the daylight out of the, the shepherds. Then he says, don't be afraid. Today a Savior has been born in Bethlehem. The shepherds rush. Then there's a, a host of army of angels praising God in the heavens, in the sky. The angels rush to town from the shepherding fields. They rush into town to see the newborn baby. They're excited. They tell Mary and others what they saw and what they heard. And now what they see there, at the as the baby's lying in the feeding trough, they're telling people what they saw. Angels, if you saw angels, you would tell people. And they told you that a baby would be born. You went and saw it and you verified it. You would tell people. They were excited they were proclaiming it. They were leaving, glorifying, and praising God. And Mary was there treasuring and thinking hard about all of these things. That's the story that we just read here in Luke chapter 1, verses 1, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. What is the message of Christmas? What's the meaning of Christmas? I try to distill it in a phrase. Let me give it to you in a theological phrase and then a less theological phrase. The theological phrase would be incarnation for salvation. Incarnation for salvation. A less theological way of saying it is, born to save. God was born as a man, that's incarnation, God taking on human flesh, born to save. To save people from sin, from Satan, from death, from themselves, really. Jesus came to save us from ourselves and our sin. So, if we're going to think about this for the next 12 minutes, let me give you three points that I want us to think through this story. Your Christmas plans, let's think about Christmas plans, Christmas meaning, and Christmas spirit, okay? Christmas plans, Christmas meaning, and Christmas spirit. Christmas plans. Now, Caesar Augustus had certain plans on this first Christmas, right? If you look at verses 1 and 2, he set a decree to all the land that everyone should be registered in his hometown. Now, why did Caesar do this? We don't know exactly all the reasons why, but it certainly was a show of power, right? Right? Look how big and vast my empire is. Look at all the lands I have conquered and look at all the people under my rule. Not only that, if you set out a decree and the whole known world has to move around to register, that's power, right? That's control. That's authority. So Caesar, on this first Christmas, his plan was, in, in a sense, to show and count and measure his authority and power. That was his Christmas plan. Now, what are our Christmas plans? What are your plans this Friday, December 25th? Have you ever been frustrated by Christmas plans? Your plan didn't quite pan out exactly how you envisioned it. I see smirks on your face because everyone knows what frustration is when you have Christmas plans. You know, uh, maybe, maybe you didn't get the gift you wanted or you, the one you wanted to buy for a loved one. Perhaps you're not able to see a particular loved one because they're far away or because of death and bereavement, or because of cold and irreconciled relationships, where relationships have just gotten sour and you can't have two family members in the same room, and so you can only have one or the other. And so you don't get to spend time with everyone. And the plan and vision of what you would like for the Christmas celebration is not the plan and vision that's actually happening. Doesn't this frustration show us that we are not as powerful as we'd like to be? That we don't have the control that we think we have over our schedule and over our plans? We're not quite as powerful as Caesar, are we? No. But there's someone even more powerful than Caesar. And his Christmas plans were perfectly executed. Who planned Christmas? God did, right? God planned Christmas. Caesar's moving everyone for his registration, but who's moving from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Who are they? Joseph and Mary. And Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. And so God has a plan of having his son born in Bethlehem. But Joseph is in Nazareth, and Mary's in Nazareth. That's not where the Messiah is supposed to be born. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So Caesar, with all his power, in a sense, is almost like a puppet. For his display of power and plans, he's really just carrying out God's plan. God needs to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. He was the most powerful man in the world at the time the Roman emperor, to move his, his son and the mother, Mary and Joseph, to Bethlehem. And so, God planned for the location of the birth. 700 years before, in Micah 5.2, God promised that the shepherd and king of Israel, who would save Israel, would be born in Bethlehem. So God's plans were carried out in terms of the location. But not just the location, even the ancestry. Jesus is of the family line of Joseph, and Joseph is of the family line of who? In verse 4, David. And who is David? David is the was the king of, of what nation? Of Israel. If you're not a Christian, don't worry. King David was a thousand years before Jesus, 1000 BC, and he was the greatest king of Israel. God promised David that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever. That's weird. Not an eight-year term in the White House. Not a four-year term. Not a lifetime of kingship, forever. You will always have a son sitting on the throne forever. And now Jesus is the son of Joseph legally, and Joseph is on the family line, the kingly line of David. So God is carrying out his plan in terms of ancestry. Not just location of where he'll be born, but who will he be born to? The family line of the king. Not only the ancestry, but even the virgin conception. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God promised that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. For unto us a son is born, and unto us a child is given, Isaiah chapter 9. God promised that a virgin would give birth. So three plans of God were carried out. Our plans get frustrated, right? Our Christmas plans, we kind of put an asterisk next to it, and we just do our best, right? For God, every single plan to the very specific detail, is fulfilled exactly how he planned it. The location, the ancestry, the virgin birth, all coming according to his promise. Now, we have to learn from this that our, our lives are limited. right? We can't do everything we want to do. We are not in control. The Christmas message is that you are not in control, but God is. And that's good news. Trust his plan. Aren't you glad things don't turn out every way that you plan them to come out? You look back and you're like, Oh, thank God that that didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. It came out better, right? That's God. What we feel in the powerlessness of our our Christmas is God screaming at us, We are not in control. And that's a good thing. If we're in Christ. Because God's in control. But that's the first thing. Christmas plan. Secondly, Christmas meaning. What is Christmas about? In verses 6 and 7, She gives birth to her firstborn son wraps him in snuggly cloth and puts him in a feeding trough trough she gives birth to a son and this son according to Luke 135 is going to be the son of the most high god he will be called the son of god now the son of god was the title of the king of israel the anointed one but it's more than that look at Luke chapter 2 if you're there in your bible Luke chapter 2 verse 11 today a savior who is the messiah Or who is Christ the what? Christ the what? Lord. Lord. Now, Lord could just mean master, but look at verse 15. The shepherds say, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which who has made known to us? The Lord. When they say Lord, are they just simply meaning master or do they mean God? They mean God. We just read earlier in Luke chapter 1 in the scripture reading in the beginning of the service that, the, the, that John the Baptist will prepare the way for the Lord, Yahweh, God. So when we say that this son that was born to Mary is a human, I liked how we sang that song about the little hands. You know, the choir was singing about the little hands that are going to heal the world. I have a newborn, you know, one month old. That I mean, I'm just imagining Jesus with those little hands with the little tiny fingernails. This hand is going to heal the world. This man, this baby, born with a little tiny hand, is the creator of the universe. is that amazing? That less than 19 years before this baby was born, he created Mary. And now he's in Mary's arms. Isn't that amazing? God became a man. Christmas means that God becomes human to serve, redeem, and identify with us. To serve us in helping us get out of our slavery to sin to redeem us out of slavery to sin, and to identify with us as a human, with all the suffering, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the guilt. Jesus identifies with your guilt. You feel guilty? Jesus can identify with it. Is it because Jesus has sinned? No. How can you identify with your guilt? He felt the full wrath for your guilt on the cross. He knows what it's like to feel estranged from God. He knows what it feels like to be separated from those you love. Because of your guilt. Because of your fault. And then the fault of others being sinning, sinning against you. He knows what that's like. Because God is not just knowing our suffering because He's God and knows everything. God knows our suffering because He became a man Himself. That's what Christmas is about. He comes to save us. Bernard of Clairvaux, a theologian in the 11th century, said he called it the kiss of God. When God became a man, that was the kiss of God. And Michael Reeves writes, why? For the word or mouth of God comes to meet us in love. He becomes a slave. Philippians 2 says he existed in the form of God. He became a human, took on the form of a man, and and took on the form of a servant to die on the cross for our sins. And so we have here the meaning of Christmas is that God becomes a man. And the good news, look at verse 11 or verse 10. It's good news of great joy. And the good news is that a Savior is born in the city of David. Now, what does a Savior do? He does what? A Savior saves, right? And so that's what He's going to do. A Savior has been born to save us from our sins. That's why His name is Jesus in Matthew one twenty one, He will save us from ourselves, from our selfishness, from our self-destructive lives, and from our sin and the consequence of sin, which is death in hell forever. Jesus came to save us by, by incarnation, coming to earth, by crucifixion, dying on the cross for our sins, by resurrection, rising from the dead, by his ascension to heaven, where he sends his Holy Spirit, and by his coming again, where he will make a new heavens and a new earth. So the good news of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas is that God becomes a man to be gracious to us in our sins, to forgive us and to accept us. So, lastly, that's Christmas plans. Christmas meaning, lastly... Christmas spirit. What is the Christmas spirit? We would say, maybe it's um, being nice to your neighbors. Being nice and saying sorry to people this time of year, right? The Christmas spirit has four pointers, okay? So in the last two minutes here, I'm going to try to give you four pointers. Number one is exploration. When the shepherds heard that the baby was born in Bethlehem, in the town, what did they do? They went, right? They explored to see if it was true, If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, this is the Christmas spirit for you. You need to explore who Jesus is. Maybe you grew up in church and you thought you knew who Jesus was. But he never had any real relevance to your life. He never really was Lord and Master of your decisions and your plans and your relationships. And God is telling you this morning, explore who I am. Explore who my son is. See if it's true. See if His life and death and resurrection are true, and if it can really change your life, because it can. It's a spirit of exploration. That's the spirit of Christmas. So if you're not a Christian, I would call on you to explore who Jesus is. I'd even tell you today, trust in Jesus. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. We are all sinners, condemned to death and hell for our sins. Yet Christ died for us and rose for us. So that if you would repent from your sins and trust in Jesus, this morning you would be saved. So explore who Jesus is. The second Christmas spirit is, what did they do when they found out it was true? They told who? They told everyone. They proclaimed. So there's a spirit of proclamation. Not just exploration, but proclamation. They've told people about Jesus. If you're a Christian, is Christianity true? Is Jesus Was Jesus born? Did he die for our sins? Did he rise from the dead? Are you excited about that? Then tell people. That's the Christmas spirit. A spirit of proclamation out of joy. That's the second one. The third one is a spirit of meditation. That's what Mary did in verse 19. Now, Mary had a whirlwind nine months, didn't she? From an angel saying, you're going to have a child. She says, I've never been intimate with a man. I'm not even married yet. God is going to miraculously pass over you and you will become pregnant. So Mary is miraculously pregnant as a virgin. She is ridiculed and mocked by family and friends in the town she has to explain to her fiance that she didn't cheat on him and then she gives birth and then angels an angel comes to joseph and t- gives him a vision angels come to shepherds and now the shepherds are saying this was crazy tonight angels came and told us that the savior god would be born so what does mary do with all of this overload of information and experience it says in verse 19 she meditates on it. She thinks about it. She ponders it and treasures it in her heart. We'd say today she journaled about it. She wrote it in her diary. She thought about it. And that's what we, you need to do. Brothers and sisters, we need to think about Christmas. Let us not go so quickly to gift-giving and the meal. I would challenge all of you to read a passage of the Scripture to your family before you have your Christmas meal. And stop and just think about Christmas. Be grateful in your heart that God became a man. So that's the spirit of Christmas meditation. And lastly, verse 20, the spirit of glorification or exaltation. What did they do as the shepherds went out? They were glorifying and praising who? Praising God. That's what happens when you're excited. That's what happens when you meditate. That's what happens when you see God in Jesus Christ. You get excited. And you don't come to church because you have to. You don't come to church because your family member is giving you a guilt trip to come. You come to church because you're excited. And it's not just church. You glorify God every day of the week, not just Sundays, right? You're happy because God has taken pity on sinners like us. He saved us from our sins. He died for us. He rose for us. He became a human for us. And so we have a spirit of exaltation. What's your response to Jesus coming to earth? Is it a spirit of exploration? Is it a spirit of meditation? Is it a spirit of proclamation? Is it a spirit of exaltation? Or, God forbid, is it a spirit of rejection? Or is it a spirit, spirit of busyness? Where you just forget about God. Our prayer is that you would meditate on the wonder of Christmas. And if you're not a Christian, our prayer is that you would explore who Jesus is and come to call on him as Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you because you, in the person of your Son, became a man. God, you became flesh to save us from our sins. Lord Jesus, you came, took on human flesh and weakness and the curse of this world. You took on our curse and our sin and our guilt so that everyone who would repent and believe in you would be saved. You rose from the dead, declaring victory over Satan, sin, and death. You sit in heaven on high, ascended, ruling and even guiding our meeting this morning by your Spirit and your Word. You are coming soon to finally and fully save us where there is no more tears, no more crying, no more sin, no more curse, no more broken relationships, no more guilt for all those who have repented and trusted in you. All of our pain and suffering will not only be gone, but will be rewarded because of what Christ has done. We thank you for the good news of great joy that is Christmas. We pray that we would meditate, that we would proclaim, that we would exalt you, and that we would explore the wonder of Christmas again and again this season. And not just by ourselves, but with our families, with our friends even with non-Christian friends. I'm convicted that last night at a Christmas party with non-Christians, I didn't ask them what Christmas means to them. I should have asked that. We pray that we would have conversations like that going forward, and that we would be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the spirit of Christmas. Who gives us the spirit of Christmas? In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.